In the year 2000, an artist in Texas reimagined the Annunciation scene. He painted Mary and the angel Gabriel when the angel Gabriel came to tell her about the coming birth of God's son within her. And so I want you to see this picture that he painted. You see, the angel is kind of like you'd expect an angel to be. He's dressed in a big robe and he's got wings and he's very devout. But Mary doesn't look like we'd expect Mary to look. Mary is a young schoolgirl. She's wearing saddle shoes. She's barely a teenager. And she's not in front of an ancient Near Eastern village. She's in front of a modern suburb. It's meant to shock us a little bit, to kind of draw us out, to make us think of the story differently. You see, it's easy for us to fall into this rhythm of thinking that these are just dusty old stories we trot out once a year alongside of presents and lights and Santa Claus. But he wanted us to see in this painting that that story has so much relevance and power and meaning for our world today. And so last week we began our journey to the manger, our journey to Christmas Eve, by talking about the story of Zechariah and the story of doubt. And today we're going to talk about Mary's story and talk about what it means for us to trust God with our whole lives. You see, we, we all find ourselves like Mary. We're not being asked to carry the Son of God within us, but... We are being asked to trust that God's promises for our lives are far better than any other promise that we might be able to receive from the world or conjure up on our own, that God's promises are best and we are called to trust in those promises. And so we are going to start in Luke chapter 1. If you have a Bible, would encourage you to grab it or pull it up on your device. If you're at home, grab a Bible. We're going to spend a lot of time in Luke 1 today, but we're in Luke 1 starting in verse 26. He says, in the sixth month, that's six months since the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah and let him know that his wife would be bearing a child. Six months, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. Let's pause there. What does it mean to find favor with God? I mean, I like to think that I'm the favorite child in my family. Some of you probably have arguments about the favorite grandkid in your family. But what does it mean to find favor with God? Because honestly, if there's an option of having favor with God, I'd I'd like it. I'm assuming you would as well. The thing is, Mary was an Israelite. She was one of God's chosen people. And in the Old Testament, God had made promises to his chosen people. And so biblically speaking, to be favored meant you were the kind of person that God's promises were for. And in those days, the nation of Israel was under Roman occupation. 
meaning they lived in their own land, but they were ruled by the Romans. And this was unbearable. These were God's chosen people. And they were ruled by a foreign ruler who worshipped foreign gods. This was an embarrassment to them. And it was a clear indicator to many that God's promises were not coming true in their nation and in their lives. And so out of this desire to make things happen, a lot of different Israelites had chosen alternative paths that rather than trusting what God wanted for them, God's promises, they started to devise their own ways of trying to achieve God's promises by their own strength. So they tried all of these things. But God doesn't show up to a religious scholar who had all of the theology down pat and assumed that if we just know the right things about God, then God's favor will come upon us. That's not who God shows up to. God doesn't show up to a legal expert, to somebody who believed that if we just force everybody to follow the rules exactly how we tell them to, then maybe, just maybe, God's favor will show up. That's not who God shows up to. And God doesn't show up to a social revolutionary. There were those in their time that believed if we just take out some Romans, if we just start the revolution, God will join in. That's not who God shows up to. God shows up to Mary. And who was Mary? One theologian, Kent Hughes, put it very bluntly. From all indicators, her life would not be extraordinary. She would marry humbly, give birth to numerous poor children, never travel farther than a few miles from home, and one day die like thousands of others before her, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Mary wasn't somebody that we would find impressive. Scripture doesn't say that Mary was a go-getter, that Mary was the class star, that she was a little neighborhood favorite, that she had any social status. Mary was a nobody. But, and don't miss this, over and over in Scripture, God comes to nobodies. He comes to needy people that understand that they have nothing to offer. And this story shows us if you want to receive the promises of God, you have to let go of the promises of the world. And the promises of the world are about you, about what you can achieve, what you can accumulate, what you can accomplish, about what you can purchase, and that's something to be aware of this time of year, or how much you can make, or what kind of promotion you're going to get, or how many followers or likes you have. The promises of this world are about your abilities. But the promises of God are about his abilities and his power. Whose promises do we trust? So the angel Gabriel calls Mary favored. What he means is she has put her trust in God's promises. And what were God's promises? Let's pick back up in verse 31. He says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Let's stop there. Do you see what's happening? One of the most intimate promises imaginable, you're going to have a kid, is connected directly to one of the most public promises imaginable. There will be a worldwide eternal kingdom. You see, what this story shows us, and do not miss this, is that what starts in the heart of one person changes the world. The promises of God were for Mary. They're there for all of us. See, the Old Testament people had this promise that one day God would do something in their country, in their nation. He would bring a new king of the line of David and that that new king would mean that God was doing something for the whole world. And that's coming true in our story right here. It's for Mary, but it's for all of us. This is amazing news. But for Mary, maybe hard news as well. Mary's probably 12, 13 years old, unwed. You're going to have a child. This is tough news. What does Mary say in response? Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? How will this be since I have never known a man? Now, the thing about this part of the story is the virgin birth is maybe one of the most controversial subjects within the Christian faith. But the gospel writers, with no embarrassment, put it loud and proud at the beginning of Scripture. They could have, they could have glossed over it. They could have passed on. They could have just moved the dial and, and, and minimized it. Instead, they understood something. That this was critical to the faith. That this was critical to our understanding of the promises of God. That God would work in Mary's life in a way that was so far out of her own power and her own control. The Mary says, but how? How will it work? It's not a question of doubt, by the way. Last week, Zechariah looked the angel in the face and doubted him. It's not a good move. Mary does not ask a question of doubt. Mary asks a question of how. And I honestly think that's a fair question. It's a question many of us are asking these days as we continue to slog through this reality of a worldwide pandemic. What we keep telling ourselves is, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. We're going to come out the other side. But how? How will it work? You see, for Mary and for us, questions of how are not questions of doubt. We can both trust that God will come through on his promises and also seek to understand how it's going to work. Because for us, trusting in God is not about burying our heads in the sand. It's about seeking to understand the way the promises of God will transform our whole lives. So the angel answers Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
Again, these promises are not about Mary's strength. They're not about Mary's ability. They're not about Mary's holiness. They're about God's power. To imagine that even this, even conceiving a child, wasn't in Mary's strength. It was in God's strength. And he goes on to remind her, Check out the next verse. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. That was an impossible dream as well. They had given up on childbirth. And what does God say? I make the impossible things possible. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary says some of the most beautiful words in Scripture. Behold, I am your servant. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary says, God, if you're going to do this, I'm in. Now she could have said, but Gabriel, we have plans. Joseph and I had our eye on this cute little bungalow in an up-and-coming part of town. We were going to buy a Labradoodle and have two and a half kids. Gabriel, this is not the plan. We know that wasn't Mary's plan, but Mary had to make a trade here. She had to trade whatever promises she might have imagined for her own life for the promises of God. And what we see is that she found God's promises were better, better than anything the world could offer. And so then what Mary does next confirms the unexpected power of God's promise. It says that in those days, Mary arose. So the text would have us think the very next day, like right away, Mary gets up and she goes with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted her Elizabeth, Elizabeth, who is her family member. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the six month old baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord." This is, moment, this is a moment of great celebration. It's a moment of great joy. These two unsuspecting women were confirmed, had been confirmed that God was on the move. This is celebratory. This is on the other side of COVID, no more masks. We can all just be together. This is celebratory joy. And we might miss that one of these women was six months pregnant and well past childbearing years. The other was a 12 or 13-year-old, unwed, soon-to-be mother. See, it sounds joyful, and in fact it is, but that doesn't mean that they don't have hard days ahead. They have challenges in front of them. But these faithful women understood that God's promises were better than anything the world could offer, even though these promises would not lead to the easiest road. These promises would not lead to the life the world was promising them. See, God's path 
will not be the path of least resistance, but the path of greatest joy. It will not be the path of least resistance, but the path of most joy. So as we make our way to the manger, as we make our way this, to this Christmas Eve and Christmas morn, we come face to face with Mary and her deep trust that what God had for her life was better than anything the world could offer or anything she could achieve on her own. Do we trust like Mary? Do we trust like Mary? Do we trust God with our whole lives no matter what he asks of us? Mary believed that if you want to receive the promises of God, you have to let go of the promises of the world. Because the good news is that this baby boy that Gabriel announces to Mary goes on to become the savior and king of the world. He goes to a Roman cross, dies and rises from the dead so that we don't come to the manger holding on to the promises of the world. But because he's broken the power of sin and death in our lives, we can let go of everything else and cling only to the promises of God. So over the next few weeks, I want to encourage you to do something really simple. Whenever you find yourself inevitably getting sucked into striving, accumulating, achieving, trying to outdo and out-impress, I want you just to pause and just to realize, okay, I'm trusting in promises other than the promise of Jesus. Acknowledge where the world's promises are drawing you in and then don't stop there, but go back to the promises of God. Read through scripture, read through Luke 1 and Luke 2. Worship together with God's people. Spend time in prayer. Remind yourselves of the promises of God, that God doesn't come to those who have their act together, that God comes to the broken among us. He comes to us in our need. The promises of God are for those who know they need God. They are for all of us because we all need God. And I'm convinced that if we step away from the promises of the world, we'll see, just like Mary, that God's promises are better. I'm wearing this um, little smartwatch that I am just addicted to. I don't know if any of you find yourself in the same place. It counts my steps. It's pretty great. I have uh, 8,430 steps today. I don't say that to shame any of you. Apparently that number is a little high from feedback I got from the service earlier, but I don't know if you've ever worn a watch or a gadget that counts your steps. At one point, I think they were putting them in kids' meals, which is one of the most ironic things I've ever heard. But what happens is we end up finding all these ways to make ourselves better. In fact, Garmin who is maybe the world's leading manufacturer of these little smartwatches, had a commercial a few years ago, and the commercial was all about beat yesterday. Beat yesterday. More steps, more miles, more calories burned, more activity, more movement. And I remember seeing that commercial and thinking, that sounds exhausting. Beat yesterday? I mean, it might work for a couple of days, but at some point, is this what life is really about? Beating yesterday? 
We live in a world that's obsessed with making ourselves better. Making ourselves better. Achieving, accumulating, acquiring, improving ourselves. Beat yesterday, beat last year. That's not the world. Of, that's not the promises that God makes to us. You see, I need this just like you do. I'm as, I'm as drawn into these promises as anyone else. I find myself literally counting my steps. If my watch dies during a day, my first thought is, but how is it going to know how many steps I took? Or I find myself caring way too much about what others think of me or how I appear. I find myself getting drawn into these endless loops of social media scrolling. Right? The promises of Advent are for all of us. We need to come back to this time every single year to remind us that God's promises are different from the promises of the world. And the world promises us, if you make yourself better, if you keep improving yourself, if you beat yesterday, you will have favor. It's not what God says. God says he came for the broken he came that we would know him and know him to the fullest, that he would give us life, not because we could offer him anything, but because he offered his life for us. In Advent, we are reminded that we don't trust in ourselves. We trust in the promises of God, and they are far better. Holy and loving God, come to us in this time. Help us to continue to reflect upon your nearness and your goodness. We thank you for the ways you came to Mary all those years ago and the way you continue to come to us. So let us sit in our need for you and grow the trust in our hearts that what you have for us is better than anything the world could offer. We love you and praise you in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.